I'm having a good time. You are? Yeah. I can tell. We are rolling. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Today's guest is Michael Klim. Michael is a father of three, elite swimmer, Olympic and Commonwealth Games gold medalist, businessman, entrepreneur and health advocate. He was awarded the Australian Institute of Sport Athlete of the Year in 1998 and 1999 and received an Order of Australia medal. Michael broke world records, yes, records, at the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games, instantly shooting him to stardom, making him a national hero and a household name. Michael then backed up his Olympic performance at the 2006 Commonwealth Games, winning gold, solidifying legendary status and winning the hearts of aspiring young athletes worldwide. Michael's training regimes from back in the day are still very much entrenched in his psyche. He dedicates his time to personal training, managing his businesses, coaching swimmers, and this year he even trained his children's school team to achieve (laughs) achieve the best results the school has ever seen. True story. I'm always intrigued to meet people who found their calling early on in life and then dedicated their whole life to it. Michael is the epitome of this. He's just born to do it. You only have to look at his arm span to realise that those things are more like props on a large boat. These days... Michael lives in Bali and today is here to share his experiences, challenges, yeah. triumphs and hopes for the future. Michael Klim, welcome. How are you, brother? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, mate. Good. So, what did you get up to this morning? Uh, mate, not much, actually. Just we make pancakes with my, uh, with my little one and, um, and a lot of work, a bunch of emails. So uh, <laughs> just a normal day, really. The, do the emails just not stop? No, no. Unfortunately, when you and being an entrepreneur, I, when you as you call me, um, when you own your own own business and uh, um, you, you know you just sort of delegate uh, to a bunch of people, they uh, you know they keep coming. <laughs> and uh, how are the how are the is it businesses or you got more? No, well, no. Predominantly, uh, Milk and Co is our is our um, is my is my main business, which is a uh, is a lifestyle sort of brand, which is skincare for men, women, and babies. So we've we've been uh, operating now for eleven years now. Um, so we you know we've kind of gone through the all the ups and downs and all the, the I guess the the traditional sort of trajectory of 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 a business where you know self funded and then we needed capital with private equity injection then with new partners etc so um and then now it's really kind of i've been able i'm very fortunate enough to kind of have this lifestyle by design where you know i chose to live in in bali um obviously the kids go to the green school as you mentioned and um and yeah so it's sort of uh it's yeah i i get back to australia probably once a month to uh you know, to connect with the team. Um, I used to be very much, uh, you know, probably be, be the first one in the office and the last one to leave. Um, so a lot of things have changed, but um, this, the business is still, you know, still running on. How many staff do you have? We have uh, we have around around a dozen staff, but um, we also have a team in in China as well. Um, so it's it's a small it's a small team, but it's uh, we sort of we outsource a lot, um, and 
we're you know we pride ourselves on on creating sort of we're great at branding in terms of formulations and products etc uh, but we uh, we work with really great sort of retailers and great distribution partners. So um, yeah, so we're focused on the things that we're good at, right? Rather than doing, you know, you can you can you can really sort of, uh, I guess sometimes you know sell yourself thin a little bit by trying to do too much. Are you like as excited about it as you were when you first started it? Look, it's been... A, uh, or is it just cruising along now? You've got it set up how you want it. You've got your lifestyle by design. I love, yeah. I love that term. <laughs> so you've, you've got your lifestyle by design and you're just happy for it to kick along or have you got aspirations for it to grow bigger and bigger? Oh, absolutely. I, I feel that it's... You know, we've been going 11 years and it feels like it's been like a flash, you know. And um, for me, I feel that we've... You know, I think I still have aspirations of the business becoming almost a, a global brand. I think we're we're very well recognised in Australia. Um, we've got a we're probably distributed in about thirteen to fourteen different countries and um, quite well known in Asia. But I think there is still great opportunity for the brand to grow. Um, we've we've recently rebranded uh, our baby offer, our men's offer. So. Um, this con- it, it, retail doesn't stop, you know. The con- consumer trends change, you know. And <laughs> economically, we always change, you know. There's, there's, yeah. So I think for me, I'm I'm pretty excited on what. Um, it's not necessarily skincare per se, but it's about um, how do you sort of nurture, evolve, and innovate a brand. Yeah, that's interesting. I was doing some like. Um, Google stalking of you last night, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I realised we're the same age, dude. Like, in fact, I'm I'm actually slightly older. Um, and then that led me to my next thought was like, because you were born in '77, yep, so yep, was I. Yeah, man. yeah. So some of the best people I know were born in '77. <laughs> yeah, right, it's a good year. It is a great year. And um, then my next thought was like, I wonder when he started going bald. Because I'm bald as well. <laughs> well, I chose to. I actually was was a conscious decision it was the trials of the 96 olympic games in sydney yeah um i i had very thin sort of blonde hair from the chlorine and um and it was more of a uh was a like a, a sign to i wanted to make my first olympic team so i, I shaved i shaved for specifically for that meet to to show all my competitors how serious and <laughs> I was and and that was kind of probably the the first first time I ever shaved specifically for for swimming and it kind of remained I tried to grow it back a couple of times exactly. in the next couple of years after that but it never really but it stuck you know I I can't imagine myself with hair I'd love to have facial hair like you but oh, um I'm, I'm a bit other. sparse in that in that in in, in that space <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's a blessing and a curse. I'm like, I'm not going to shave two things on my head. It's either going to yeah. be one or the other. So I went yeah. <laughs> but I really think your your look is iconic in Australia, that bald head, you know. And <laughs> I've got these images of you at the Sydney 2000 Olympics and it was daunting, you know. <laughs> and I really thank God for people like you and Kelly Slater who actually made baldness look cool, in my opinion. Oh, thanks. Because then I was like, yeah. like, especially for me, Kelly Slater, because like, he's a little guy like me. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, thank God, Kelly. Like, Yeah, yeah. You know, It's funny because I think especially Eastern European men too, like I, I'm, I've got Eastern European background. I was born in Poland. Um, 
and you know now i've gone back i've gone back to poland recently and i think we all have kind of heads that suit bald you know the bald look so uh yeah so every second every second male uh, male guy in poland has got a shaved head pretty much do you think, like this is a serious question like do you think that led you into wanting to develop skincare products it kind of inadvertently um kind of led me in that direction because i was being a being a swimmer and obviously um having a lot of exposed skin and being you know having a shaved head pretty much my entire career um i was approached by a couple of skincare brands to help them to be an ambassador etc and that sort of um kind of led me to think oh maybe i can do something of my own and you know started the sort of i guess the uh <laughs> the concept of creating my own brand and um and that's how it uh that's how it all started yeah like i kind of like it because i think there's a lot of stigma around um well i think it's changed a lot in recent times but you know back in my younger years in our generation it was like if you led on to other blokes yeah. that you were using skincare products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like you'd get you'd get ridiculed, you'd get hassled yeah. for it. Like yeah. you know. But I, I don't know, like do you feel like you kind of changed that stigma in Australia? I don't know if I've me per se. It was definitely been a big change. I think it, it is, is a number of things, you know. I think, you know, guys it's I mean, being a bloke in a anywhere or mainly in australia it's it's super competitive you know you know personally professionally you know everyone wants to uh you know kind of be the best version of themselves kind of thing and um but um and you know i I think australia have definitely led away in in let's say fashion and i think grooming we're always a bit behind and just to give you a stat on on average a, a Korean man has about seven or eight skincare products in his bathroom, and and the Aussie guy would have probably only three, mm-hmm. you know, maybe four now. But um, so we we're still a long way behind the rest of the world. So um, looking after your skin, it's it's now becoming a an norm. Whereas back, you know, when I launched the brand in two thousand and eight, we were certainly, um, you know, men were still using soap. Yeah, <laughs> most I most of the guys. That was it. Like I'd wash my face with a bar of soap, and I don't even want to tell you where I also use that bar of soap. <laughs> <laughs> no need to tell me. <laughs> so anyway, like you grew up in po- you were born in Poland, but yep. you grew up in Australia. Yep. Uh, which part of Australia? I grew up in Melbourne, so I am. Um, so I was eleven when we arrived. I had a pretty interesting upbringing. My dad worked for the Polish consulate. And um, we spent four and a half years living in India, uh, in Bombay, and that's where I learned to swim. Um, so for a, for a country that's renowned for probably the, the cricketers and a lot of other things, um, I, uh, I kind of, you know, my, yeah, I, I met my, my swimming teacher still, she's still alive and she's fantastic. And, you know, she's the one who, you know, created my, my future really pretty much do you think um like how old were you then when you when when you first started and met that particular coach oh i would have been one and a half two two yeah yeah like just so, doing yeah basic I was, learn how to swim try like yeah i would do learn to swim so pretty much it's funny how kind of history repeats itself because i i now live 
or my kids live a very similar lifestyle to what I lived back then, you know, that have, having that sort of expat kind of upbringing where my dad used to drop me off at a, the, the equivalent of Finns and pick me up a few hours later after work or when he had to do, you know, finish and yeah. finish a few things. So, um, you know, my life was, was very similar to what my kids are experiencing at the moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I was um, yeah, exposed to the water from a very early age. I think I learned to swim the same time I learned to walk. So, so um, who, who was it that identified your talent, you think, early on? Um, I'm not sure who, who it was. You know, I, th- I think I, always, I was very competitive from a very early age. Um, I was always pretty driven in a sense that I wanted to chase older guys in the squad and, and try and beat them. So I don't know why I was so competitive. Um, I was never really pushed, which was... Um, um, you know, credit to my parents where they, they probably developed values in me that sort of I had that purpose without them having to push me in, in, in you know, in, into the sports. I remember, you know, waking my dad up at, say, 4.30 in the morning to take me training rather than the other way around where parents wake up their kids to, to take them training. So, um, you know, it, and, and I give, I've, you know, I think it's, yeah, I, I you know, I give them a lot of credit for, for shaping me in, in that sense you know i feel that they they sacrifice a lot for for our future obviously they travel around the world a lot we lived in germany and canada and then eventually in australia but um and so i've i had this kind of a bit of a cliche but i had this kind of sense of purpose from a very early age that with all this stuff that was changing around in my life mm. from languages and schools and friends and um, the thing that remained constant was the swimming pool so I went to Germany I, I joined the swimming club I went to Canada I joined the swimming club so and when I arrived in Melbourne I think I signed up to the Melbourne Vic Centre Swimming Club before I even um, enrolled at uni high which um, you know I think for me swimming was always that that almost that, that fraternity that, that community that I really related to and, so. you, and you learned that early on yeah, I think, for, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, and also as a kid, right, you want, you, or as a youngster, you kind of want recognition, you want, and, and because I was, you know, I was pretty early, I was, from early, early age, I was pretty good at, at swimming, um, I had a couple of wins early on, and, and, you know, being recognized for that, um, kind of led me to, to so pursue it. So you started it. to develop, like, <laughs> to be identified by it. Yeah. And you sort of developed your sense of identity with Pretty, it. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting. Um, I find um, you, uh, you know, you, you literally just have to meet you to see that your physique is designed to swim. <laughs> so, like, when you were a youngster, were you, were you, did you just have a growth spurt and you were really tall and then, and you had a long arm, arm reach and, and it just, it just felt right straight away or like so, what was that feeling you had? Like, did your body just feel good in the water straight away? You, you would, you would not believe it, but my, um, my, my nickname, um, is Lumpy and I've Why? got, so I had two nicknames. So at school I was, my nickname was Chunky. Yep and um and my nickname it's uh, in the swimming club was lumpy uh and the reason was i was a very chubby fat kid so um i guess i had a i had a frame the frame was always there but i was i was an overweight 
kid that I think I only lost my puppy fat. I think maybe at the age of fifteen, maybe six, maybe sixteen. So, um, so look, I, I think I've you know I, I've only really just started appreciating the affinity that I had with water and swimming and the movement and everything. Yeah, what age? Um, for me, it was more just that you know the drive of seeing how fast I could go and you know how many sort of you know national titles I could win okay. and all that. So it was more defined by that but now i sort of i i appreciate the skill and and you know it's for me it's a a more mindfulness practice now i swim nearly every second day and so the passion's still very much oh absolutely is it more pure now yeah well i mean it's i I swim for a different reason you know i don't sort of measure my obviously i don't occasionally look up at the clock but i don't um you know it's 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 more for the feeling of that it gives me you know like i think it's it is very much um you you know you're in a completely different medium you can't see properly you're you know all your senses are thrown off and um you know there is a saying you'd never regret a swim because you're sort of it's it's like for me um you know having meditation wow so because i often think that being a professional swimmer would be often lonely you know you're in the in the water there's water over your ears a lot of the time Mm, and you're looking mm. at that black line yeah going up and down so it becomes very much like a meditation you said or yeah look i think when we were or does it get lonely when we were training you know in the lead up to to say the, the Olympic Games in Sydney, you know, like to give you an average week. We were in the water probably 10 times a week, swimming between 50 to 70 kilometres a week. So five to five to seven k's a session. So we're in the water for up to two hours. So it can, um, it's, it is repetitive. It can be, it can be lonely at times. But, you know, I think, um, you know, I see people on treadmills and gyms reading a book, and I and I and I sort of say, I just can't. It's, it's <laughs> I just don't understand that concept because even when we were swimming, for being in the water for two to three hours at a time, even if you if you're focusing on that movement and mm. what you do, what your body's doing, you're actually time goes a lot quicker if you're focusing on on stroke and mm. and your breath, etc. Um, it's like doing a 90 minute yoga class, you know, yeah. it doesn't feel like 90 minutes sometimes, you know, but so also like <laughs> you're connecting with the natural element yeah. of water. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that comparison you just drew with someone on a treadmill reading a book. Okay. They might be getting their heart rate up, but, but what are they really connecting with? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. It is, it is odd. I've always found that actually, I think that they need to connect those treadmills to the grid and then those people put power back into the energy grid absolutely we can talk about that <laughs> um the um the next question i've got for you is um can you just run us through as a youngster who was identified as someone with talent and you would you know maybe through your early teens or middle late teens i don't know through that period of your life can you run us through like what was your training regime like like you mentioned before it was four thirty starts mm. can, Give us a give us a week in the life of teenage Michael Clinton. Yeah, so as you know, as I was, you know, when we sort of arrived in Australia, we at first I, I went to a public public school called University High School in Coburg. Um, I, I was probably only training once a day, so it wasn't as rigorous as 
as it became later on, but, you know, we used to live in Morabin, which is about 40 minutes away. So dad used, used to drive us to school, which is north of the city. Then I'd go swimming, swimming training after school, finish around 6 p.m., go home, um, eat, eat dinner, you know, and fall asleep normally at the, at the, uh, at the desk trying to do my homework. But um, as I got older, um, you know, it's probably the age of sort of 15 and well, 14, 15, and I got a, a general excellence scholarship at Wesley College. Um, I started swimming twice a day, so morning and afternoon. Uh, and it became, yeah, I, I was waking up at 4.30 in the morning. I, I literally had two bags, or probably three bags. I had one bag of food, one bag of my swimming gear, and my third bag was the school school bag, right? So I was literally, uh, um, yeah, so in the in the pool at uh, 5.30 through to about 7, um, I used to get on the tram down St Kilda Road to Wesley College, uh, complete a full day of schoolwork, go back back to uh, the state swim centre, back in the water between sort of four and six, head home, again, uh, eat dinner, try and do some homework. The amount of times I'd fall asleep at the desk was, you know, and in double English or at school. It's, uh, but, you know, the teachers knew that and they they wouldn't, you know, I had I had great teachers that would could see and, and encourage, you know, my pursuit that I was so driven towards and, um, you know, they would do anything to help me get through my schooling because so they, they knew. Admired, they admired your commitment. Yeah, they admired that, and I think it was it was great because I was doing it in the international baccalaureate at, at the time, which I was one of the one of the first sort of uh, years in Australia to ever do it, and so it wasn't an easy <laughs> easy curriculum for me to even try while I was training. Um, and I did year twelve by correspondence because I got tapped on the shoulder, and they said, "Oh." would like you to move to the AIS in Canberra. Um, this was at the age of 16 and, you know, where they were picking the squad for the for the Sydney Olympics. So this is 1994. So the last, um, yeah, yeah, the last couple year or so of, of my schooling, I did uh, via correspondence, so, which is even harder. <laughs> so, like, I mean, did you, you said you had a lot, like the teachers supported your, your vision, but did you still achieve academically like or did you just sort of do what you needed to do because swimming was such a major part of your life look i i think i i have some regrets in a sense that i didn't continue in, into tertiary education after i did okay uh, you know finishing my ib and got a reasonable score um mm. i think it was just over 70 percent which mm. you know was it was okay for in, in in regards to what i was doing you know um but um you know, but now having sort of having started my business of having had my business for over 10 years and, and being involved in many others um, with my dad, having had sim schools, having done property development and things like that, where I've, I've learned so many different things through life. Um, I sort of that regret is not as strong as I initially thought because I. I had a bunch of friends who were still doing. Say, there's a couple of mates of mine that finished law while they were while they were swimming, and I was like, "This is just, how could they do that?" And I always admired them for for being able to accomplish that. And um, I just, yeah, I was probably at the time where I, mentally I just couldn't grasp the two, so I, I gave up. Um, I started commerce at at Monash, and I within the, probably I think the sec- second semester I was out of there. So. 
<laughs> so, okay, so you transitioned straight from high school, which you did grade 12 by correspondence, <coughs> transitioned straight to university, but at the same time, your career, your swimming career was just about to explode. So yeah. that would have been around 96? Yeah, 96, yeah. Yeah, yeah and so 96, in terms of your swimming career, was a significant year because that was the Atlanta Olympics. Yeah, absolutely. And that was your first Olympics? Yeah. How was that experience? <laughs> So, okay, so it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, like, I mean, there's so many um, people always talk about, you know, you, you have your, your, your toughest moments in life, probably the, the biggest lessons and, and, and the biggest learnings that you, that you take on with you for the rest of your life. And, and that happened for me and on, on so many different levels. So I... Um, I had a great coach, Gennady Turetsky, a Russian guy. He he sat down with me before the Olympics and said, "Oh, you got to be even." So I qualified. I qualified number one in the world. So I was going into. I was yeah. I was I was eighteen. I, I was freestyle. Freestyle. <laughs> freestyle two 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 hundred freestyle. So I was going to Atlanta, ranked number one in the world. Um, I guess had the expectation of probably the entire nation come home, you know, with with the gold. And but he sat down with me a few weeks before. He said, "You got to be prepared for anything. Anything can happen." And I and I was a little bit naive. And I said, "Gennady, I've just done so many, you know, PBs. I'm on the right trajectory. Um, I'm, I believe that this is my time. I'm going to, you know, win gold in in Atlanta." And um, so. Cut the long story short. I uh, I <laughs> be long. <laughs> I I, uh, I missed the final. So I missed the final of the Olympic Games by six one hundredths of a second. Um, in the event that I was expected to win, um, I, there is a thing called the psych sheets uh, when you walk into a swimming pool, and and it's literally they they call them psych sheets because people get psyched out by them. It's literally how you're ranked in in each event and what heat you're swimming in and. Um, you know, and I was the first day, you know, I was the, f- the first, <laughs> first name on top of the, the first page. So, um, I think that, you know, that, that first day really, um, the, the butterflies that I felt in, in my tummy, I was so over, overawed by the whole occasion of, of the Olymp- what the Olympic games were all about. I couldn't find my coach. I couldn't find my team. I was just, probably you like cameras <laughs> in your face. Yeah. There was just things. like a. It was just a, I just it just proved to me that I probably wasn't mentally tough enough and um, so you know I tried to swim I swam alongside Daniel Kowalski in the heats who qualified and he ended up um, swimming in that final and um, but you know out of that out of that moment um, I've got a couple of pictures of me sort of crying, uh, crying on my mum's shoulder that 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 afternoon. Um, you know, that's, that's where a lot of my changes and a lot of my key learnings happened because I realized, okay, so even though I was training with Gennady Turetsky, who also had Alex Popov, who was regarded the greatest sprinter of all time, he was in my squad. I was trying to swim like him, emulate him. And I wasn't, I mean, I'm, I'm tall, I'm 6'3", but I wasn't six foot eight. I wasn't, I wasn't swimming like the most economically, you know, an economical style like Alex had. But, um, so I had to, so there's a lot of things that I, I changed. So within 
the 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 most fundamental thing was my mental toughness. I didn't want to feel on the blocks like like I did in Atlanta, where I, almost my knees were kind of <laughs> banging together from nerves. Um, and you know, I embarked on on this sort of mission of doing about 150 competitive races in one calendar year. So I was literally almost standing on the blocks somewhere around the world from. Lake Burley Griffin to Japan to America, wherever, just racing. So, so racing became automatic. And, um, and I realized that I had to find what, 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 what I was as an athlete and what made me tick. And I was quite athletic from, from a sense that I used to play other sports, basketball and tennis. And um, I couldn't swim like Alex. That was, that, that was the stroke that Alex developed for himself. Um, so I, um, you know, we we innovated really myself and Gennady, uh, I guess a stroke we that that suited me. So I was the first one, kind of first male really to, to start swimming with with a straight arm recovery. So that sort of that windmill sort of stroke was. Um, so let's let's just clarify that straight arm recovery for people who don't know. Mm. It's it's when you actually bring your arm out of the water and reach it past your head. Yeah. And then you're actually hitting the water. Yeah. And then do you then break the elbow and pull your hand under your chest? So your so your actual stroke un, underneath the water, the, the pull through still remains the same. It's still in that kind of in the S kind of an S, shape S shape and having a high elbow, but the actual recovery is very much straight arm. So what it what it enabled me to do, it gave me a lot of inertia to be able to throw my arm forward and and it, and it, and I started engaging my hips a lot more, and I even developed a stroke, a freestyle stroke with a butterfly kick, which is even, um, you know, I started doing that in, in some at the end of some of my races, which just helped me to keep momentum. So, so I, you know, so I was racing every second weekend. I changed my stroke to straight arm. I was, uh, I was very fortunate enough to work with. Um, with speedo and we were in that when they were developing the super suits or the fast skin suits so i was working with them super closely on just building a almost becoming more fish like you know where the suits were super tight they had panels we wanted to become more rigid because as you as you fatigue generally your body starts to sag your hips start to sag in the water you want to become you want to stay as straight as as you possibly can so you can cut through the water so we work with Speedo. Um, and you know what? It took me a long time to utilize the resources that I had around me. And I, I had this great team of, you know, best biomechanists, best physiologists, best physios. You know, obviously my coach was fantastic. Teammates as well. And um, and that was probably another learning. So, and, it, and this all was happening really fast. So, with, you know, the disappointment of 96 by October of 96, 97 I, I i broke a water record and 100 butterfly which is not even wasn't even really my event so um it's amazing when you can implement changes or you change your mentality how you can you can so <laughs> so let's go back to okay so you, when you finished the atlanta olympics and you yeah. said it was you realized that your mental toughness wasn't where it should be yeah this is what triggered that ultra competitive was it would you almost describe it as like that period 
thereafter was you discovering yourself as a competitor so all that stuff you just explained like all of a sudden refining your technique finding techniques that worked for you Mm. even working with a swimsuit company to find was that all because of the the would you call it the hard experience that you learned at atlanta yeah that was a, a real pivotal moment in changing your did you go i need to I need to become mentally tougher, so I'm just going to compete, compete, compete yeah, and get yeah, comfortable in yeah, that realm. Yeah, yeah. so I think in this, for me, with the, the competitive part was that um, so that the competitive process became automatic. So I would, you know, obviously I was training a lot, but I was, I was able to, it's very hard to mimic the intensity and the pressure of, of racing in, in the training pool. So um, I was able to practice my, you know, I was one of the, the better underwater swimmers, so I practiced my underwater kick in, in the race and, you know, practiced my, I had a certain amount of strokes I wanted to do on my second 50 and, and I was trying to do, hit that every time I raced rather than hitting that in training, which it's much easier to replicate in training rather than under race conditions. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think, you know, I, I realized that I needed to become one, more resourceful, two, be, become tougher uh and you know work with the people around me um i couldn't just it it wasn't going to come easy people think that you know i was in i was in a very you know as hard as that lesson was of of missing the final in atlanta if that didn't happen um maybe if i made the final maybe got a medal i probably you know i'm not sure if i would have continued on to break 20 odd world records and you know, I was I had the world record in hundred fly for around six years and developed some you know new mm. techniques etc. So I think it was a, as you said, pivotal moment. Um, it was a tough one at the time, but it, it certainly shaped me as a one as a person, two as an athlete, um, and yeah, I certainly uh, yeah talk about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, and then and then it was just all focused on Sydney from there on. Yeah, you're just like okay, I'm not going to make the same mistake I did in. Sydney when i get to sydney yeah is that is that where you're at yeah look it's you know that the thing is you can make a huge mistake by just thinking about the you know that one moment you know i the the thing with with racing so often is that i was trying to you have to perform under any condition at any time rather than just just in sydney and unfortunately you know i won world titles won pan pacific games commonwealth games and for me, Sydney individually didn't come come out the way that I wanted it to. So um, there was obviously there was so much focus and so much um, expectation from you know the Aussie public, the hype. Uh, the hype. It was, look, it was, it was we were so lucky to have had you know I had the World Championships in Perth, then we had the Pan Packs in '99 in Sydney, then the Sydney Olympics and. But to have that attention and the corporates behind us, I mean, it was just a, just an, an amazing era in our sport, you know, mm. to to share the, to share the pool with the likes of Ian Thorpe, Grant Hackett, Susie O'Neill, Kieran Perkins, Daniel Cole, <laughs> Liesl Jones, Libby Trickett, you know, like the, the golden era, you know, the golden era of the sport. And so for me, I mean, there's, it's not just, and it's it's funny because people always talk about you know what is team culture and what are the team values and I don't think we ever spoke about it. People were kind of on this, on the I, I don't know. It's kind of unwritten. It was unspoken. Mm-hmm. People were just 
you know, like I was, I got to watch Kieran and got to watch Hacky do phenomenal things in training. And, you know, like it's right, you're rubbing shoulders with your teammates. And if he's doing that, well, that raises the bar for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, can you describe to us that moment you feel just before you're about to walk into an Olympic arena for a race? Mm. Is it just sheer butterflies? Or did you learn to manage it better? No, I certainly learned to, to manage it much better. I think it's I think the, the more butterflies, the more uncertainty, the more doubts, the more thoughts. I think, you know, that's that's you know, I think you're either underprepared or you're you are you are not quite ready. And I think for me it was a matter of simplifying that moment because I I was one that was very easily aroused. I could I could get myself pumped in about five minutes, <laughs> and I could. <laughs> how did you do it? Through music, psych up music? Was it just mental? Just men- just mentally, like, you know, look at just breathing, in the just and go, Let's just do this. putting up, putting on the goggles, and just walking. Just literally, when the moment of walking out behind the blocks mm. and looking up in the in the stands and looking down that lane, um, you know, just use because I did did that race 150 times it was just it just trigger it was just like a trigger so for me and and it was more about so i used to try actually keep my mind off the racing process for as long as i possibly could because i had practiced it a billion times i mean i knew exactly what i needed to do so it was more about um because you know i've and when i was younger i would have swum the race in my head about a hundred times i would have the night before i couldn't get to sleep because i was you know i have to get come on and get a good break out i have to accelerate into the turn and i have to do this and that overthinking it overthinking it and and you know you watch some of the greatest athletes of all time let's say michael jordan Jonathan Thurston is another great example and you know just so in- instinctive you know they don't even think about a lot of the time things that they do so <laughs> is it safe to say your confidence was coming from your training so mm. you knew you'd done the work yeah so and as you got older you just learn how to yeah just go okay I, I know what I've done yeah I'm just being there. and you have to trust that process trust you know process. yeah because a lot of people I think there is you know there's Look around the shoulder. Look, you know, I should be maybe doing something else. What, you know? And now, nowadays, through social media and the world, the swimming has changed so much. Where people actually, you know, training with different nations, and there wasn't much sharing of information at when, you know, let's say 20, 20 odd years ago. So um, we were wondering, oh, what are the Americans doing? What are the, the, you know, the Germans doing that we should be doing? But it's um, really trusting your trusting the process. I think that's that's the key. Trust, and trusting the process. Yeah, that's, I love that. I've heard that that term before. You know, just trust the process. It's and it also just what you were saying then reinforces to me that there is no substitute for hard work. Mm. You know, um, and as I get older, I realise that more and more. Like. There's no, there's no easy options, no, you know. No. Now, can you tell us about a coach that you had that was really influential on you, that mm. probably had the biggest impact on your athletic career? I had two. I look, I had two coaches that were, it's, it's, and both had probably just as much influence on me in different ways. And one called Gene Jackson, who um, was my first coach in Melbourne. And he saw he saw the talent in me, and he saw the potential in me. But he could have very easily pushed me to do more training, to 
you know, but he, he made me focus on my schooling more. He made me, he made me hang back a little bit. Um, he was, uh, he, he kept the fun process in my training for a lot longer than I probably, we used to have gambles, for example. So he said, okay. if you can, if you can do this time, you can get out of this. You can just okay. go home. Okay. Like you know, yeah, like he'd bet, he'd bet with you, and and we'd, you know, and to this day, you know, we used to have sets. We used to, you know, we used to call the Shangled Fifties, or we'd play Sharks and Minnows, or so he was, he was, you know, so fundamental in my career because he he hung back in in a sense that he could have started, you know, hammering me in the pool from a very early age, but. Um, I, st I just loved swimming, so why take that away from you know? <laughs> from, from, you know, I just loved loved being in the pool in in that environment. So, um, so he was he was, and then also the fact that he recognised that when I did get to a stage where I needed better infrastructure, you know, better expertise, he passed me on to Gennady Turetsky, who became, I guess, you know, moving out of home at the age of sixteen. Um, he became kind of my, my, like my father figure, my mentor, because, you know, like I would literally do everything he would say. So, um, and, and he was, he was an interesting <laughs> character. He was the wow. son of a Russian general, okay. um, from the, from the Soviet bloc, you know, a very smart guy, a hard? swimmer. He was hard. It, I think that was, he was smart in a sense that he was hard on the people that needed to be hard. He didn't have the cookie cutter approach. For example, you mentioned Lolly, Laurie Lawrence where um, in his squad, you know, in Australia for in that era, in say the 70s, 80s, even before that, it was, okay, it's survival of the fittest. Who person that can endure this this training regime generally wins you know? yeah. <laughs> like uh, like your duncan armstrong your john seaburn and um yeah. and then the, pe the people that survived the training generally won but um nowadays it's it's that's where that's where the the progression in sport has come where it's become so much more indiv individualized um towards the athlete you create the programs around them and um, and, and I think Gennady was, was one of the first coaches that started doing that really sort of, um, r rather than having a squad of 20 swimmers all doing the same thing, we would all be doing something you completely different. You had your own different. training plan yeah. based on your needs. Yeah. So yeah, and you just talked about that before you said like after Atlanta, you started, like you said, you were trying to swim like Alexandra Popov. Yeah. Yeah. But then you were like, well, no, that doesn't work for me. This yeah, is, yeah. This is my body. My body's different. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's funny because I have to remind myself, even just as a PE teacher, I have to remind myself of that with with kids. Like, yeah. like what's a what's an example? Like, oh, here's how you throw a javelin. Like, this yeah. is the textbook way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't necessarily work exactly. the same. So I've had to sort of let go of that. Yeah, know? it's interesting. Yeah. Do you um, so after like, because you know I was very much. You know, I grew up in the same era as you, and I, I, I remember those Sydney Olympics. It was huge news. Like, mm. I feel like your face was just every time you turn the TV on around that time. <laughs> it was just. How did you deal with the media onslaught that you that you sort of received afterwards? Did you uh, was it a did you enjoy it or was it just overwhelming? Like, can you describe mm. it to us? Look, my my relationship kind of with the media. Uh, 
changed at times because, or I changed probably once or twice because I, um, I think I was always you have to be you have to be honest with the media and you have to be transparent because if you start playing games and you start you know being sneaky or whatever like it's I think you know I was always very fortunate that you know the the swimming writers and and the the swimming media were, were always very supportive and they obviously wanted us to to see us do well um and if you and if you start you know not treating them with respect you know they they can very easily turn on you and i had one occasion where you know i had a bad race and and i took it out on a journalist and to this day i still regret it you know because i'd um it wasn't her her fault that i i swam the way i did and um and she was one of my biggest ever supporters and um you know it's can you sorry did she just like you get out of the pool you've just swum your guts out and then someone shoves a microphone in your face. Mm. Like, it must be hard to manage those emotions, like, from a human level. Yeah, it is It is hard to, to manage. And it's, and sometimes, you know, like we, you know, you see sometimes these cliched answers because, you know, you're still processing what's what's happening, you know, like it takes, it, sometimes it's not true. Adrenaline's been through yeah. the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, you're, you're, half the time I don't, you know, even even now, twenty twenty years on, you know, I, I I'm processing some of the things, or you know, I I have some memories that I thought oh, actually mean different things to me than what they did at the time. So it's quite interesting. So, but yeah, it is. Look, I think we were. Um, I, I I sort of I used to remove myself from the, from from the media at times. So we would train overseas a lot. I would used to used to train in America a lot. Um, and just just because, as you said, we were always, uh, you know, there was always press around. There were pretty much open door policy. They could come on pool deck, and 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 they always went look. And and it's and it was was always very positive. Was adulation but, was, but I think you know that can also be slightly distracting. Dis- distracting. Like, did you find it hard to um, not get caught up in that in terms of you know gaining some fame and notoriety? Um, did did that distract you from your focus and your your commitment to your swimming? Because it was like, oh wow, there's this whole other lifestyle out there now. I was fortunate enough that it didn't. Um, I I think maybe afterwards a little bit in a sense where I um was, I was probably uh, you know I thought I could do both. You know I, I was you know I thought I could do probably. You know, reap the rewards of of of, of I guess the, the notoriety and the fame, I guess, and and also maybe miss a little bit of the the, the hard work. You know, you can't. So um, you know, I I learned my lesson <laughs> the hard way a couple of times. So um, yeah, but um, I, I was you know I you know the reason why I retired and and called the quits it wasn't because of any of those sort of reasons it was basically because my my body started to kind of fail it wasn't um i still had the ambition i still had the the drive but unfortunately you know the the there's a guy called Eamon sullivan came came along who, and he sort of he you know he he took over in, in 100 free from my from myself and andrew lauderstein took over in 100 butterfly you know thorpe was flying along and he'd already taken it to the next level so um yeah it was it was a really tough realization because mentally i still wanted to do it 
physically you know i was you know i had a bunch of shoulder operations yeah i was gonna ask I mean, dealing with free, that was tough did you have you had a lot of injuries or you're fairly free from injury i was fairly free from injury for a for a while i, I it all started with rolling my ankle really badly <laughs> playing basketball <laughs> which then that. then then led to a uh to a prolapse disc to then led to you know having um you know, bad, really bad shoulders and having shoulder operations. And yeah. as a swimmer, you know, we do about 3,000 shoulder rotations per session. Um, and I had, you know, dealing with that was, was quite tough. And that was, and, and that was probably, uh, I, I had about 18 months to qualify for the Athen, Athens Olympics in 2004 and i could i couldn't even lift my arm up <laughs> over my head so i had a i kind of had a period of a, a bit of a battle and a mission to to get to athens but um i want to be part i wanted to be part of that community and you know to give you an idea like the sacrifice that i would make i would come down and i used to put a snorkel on and kick oh, up and down the pool for two hours just so i, I was part of the group you know gotcha. I'd get down there. I'd still stretch, still talk to the coach, still it's a lot of yeah. It's home for you. It's home, and it's you know a lot of people. I think sometimes when there is negative things that happen in their life, then the natural emotion or the natural kind of act is to withdraw themselves or remove themselves. So, I think as athletes, we uh, I think now in team sports, they're very good at focusing on the things that you can do rather than things on the, the things that you can't do, you know. So especially in, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what it's like in, in PE and, you know, when you got, you know, kids that are slightly, if, they, if they're sick or injured or whatever. But I think we're, I've always, you know, even now as I'm older training, you know, if some days I don't feel like going for a swim, but... The, the variety of exercises you can do <laughs> is is just endless. So it's just focusing on what, on what you can do rather than what you can't do. Yeah. So what's your what's your daily training like these days? You, you said you still get in the pool, but what else do you do? Like, yeah. I mean, have you have you maintained your your health and wellness? Like, do you do yoga as well and stuff like that? Yeah, I used to do yoga. I think for me, it's it's kind of a um, I try and keep it pretty balanced, you know. So I think. I still really enjoy the intensity of training. So when I do, if I do HIIT training or if I go into the gym, I really try and push myself pretty pretty hard. And it's I think that's where where the where the physiological change happens, the mental change happens too. Mm. Um, and I use swimming probably for a different reason, as I mentioned before, more that meditative kind of. Um, it's my space, you know, sometimes I jump the fence here actually and swim in the neighbor's pool because it's quite big <laughs> and, you know, I have, I, and it's, and it's my, and it's kind of, that's my, my, my space and, um, but it's, I think it's all about keeping it varied, you know, and it's, as you mentioned, you know, we are in our forties, our, our bodies aren't as resilient as what they used to be. So just, and and I, I, I've, I found the hard way that I, ha I have to listen to my body more and I can't do the things that I probably was doing, say, five years ago. I, you know, I used to do adventure racing just because I felt like it, you know, <laughs> and it's, <laughs> there's no way I could do that now. You train, train smarter now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm really about now is trying to really train smart, anything, like, to minimize injury. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I still very much love surfing and I love skateboarding. Yeah. I just, I just love it, you know, and... um but now I'm in the back of my mind. I'm like, nah. It's put the ego aside. I can, I don't need to. 
I now need to push myself as hard as I used to because I, w- I want to still be doing this for as long as I can. Yeah, I want to be absolutely. doing what I'm 80 years old. You know? Yeah, yeah. And once I had that mindset, um, yeah, I'm actually enjoying the. I'm enjoying those little things more and more. And like you said, yeah. you, would you say you enjoy swimming more than you ever have, or is it just different? It's different. I think I I st- still enjoy it though so much. Like it's. Um, it's it's a skill that I have that it's so kind of innate in me and it's you know just jumping in and you know like even some of the things we used to do you know in training I still do now like just trying to jump in and swim see how far you can swim without taking a breath for example you know (laughs) or whatever just swimming underwater and just shaking it out and just blowing out all year just just it's almost like it's yeah, it's kind of a, you know, if, if I add up the amount of hours I spend in my life in the pool, yeah. you know, it's like my second home. So I still, I still love it. And I, um, you know, it's, it's not a coincidence that, you know, kids with autism or kids that have mental disabilities or it's, you know, they, you know, they, they, you know, they take them to the water, you know, like, and, and um, it is, it, it is a such a, it's such a great medium for, you know like changing your mindset or whatever it is you know like it it's just it's just a great movement process to your 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 body growth from you know obviously you know physically from you know cardiovascularly muscles all that sort of stuff but and then mental health as well do you want your kids to be competitive swimmers or is are they already well they look i think they um they i don't think they they, I think they like swimming in the sense they, you know, they, they can do, they can do it pretty well. Um, Rocco and uh, Rocco loves his tennis. He's actually just around the corner at the tennis camp as we speak. Uh, loves his tennis and basketball. Stella loves the surfing. Um, you know, but they, you know, they spend, you know, they're in the water all the time. Um, I haven't seen. And look, obviously they're different. They're different people. They're they're different, you know, geneful. Mm. Um, I, I at the age of what you know, say Stella's thirteen. I was already very much on. I kind of had set my path already, and so um, not to say you know she she'll find her own path in a, in a, in a different area. But um, so yeah, like I I sort of try and facilitate whatever you know. And then sometimes there is. I mean, there's a great example with Rocco, not this year, but last year's swimming carnival, BSSA, where he was really sort of um, timid, didn't want to swim, um, didn't even enter any events. And um, so the night before, I, 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 rang, I rang ahead of swimming and I said, oh, can you enter Rocco in every event, please? Um, and, and, there's, and sometimes, you, you know, people say oh you shouldn't be pushing kids and um and but to what degree you know and then so i i convinced rocco i said rocco i just want you to i know you feel uncomfortable you know you you haven't there's other kids that do a lot more training people probably watching you because you're my son but i just want you you know you are you, you're naturally a good swimmer i just want you to get in there and compete and have fun enjoy yourself um it's an amazing story because in the first event he sits there super timid um and in the um in the freestyle just just comes second and and loses and he's um 
and <laughs> but and and but he's so already like that experience from him not even wanting to be there to almost winning was already you know like had completely changed his idea of what that that race was all about um half an hour later the breaststroke comes along and um and he ends up winning the breaststroke so from from the the night before he was standing right here <laughs> crying saying i'm not gonna swim you know i you know i haven't trained there's better kids there mm. there's expectations blah 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 um for me to you know like there was it was a moment i could have said okay don't worry yeah. you know maybe next year will be your time um and then this year he you know he came through and you know completely different attitude i think he swam yeah. I think he, if there was more events, he probably would have competed yeah. in them as well. But yeah. he came away with a you know couple of wins, and it was that. But that wasn't the um, the 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 objective. It was more just walking in there with with open mind and to get him out of his comfort zone. Exactly. Yeah, kids <laughs> kids don't know. Uh, so this is as a father too, as a fairly new father. That's where I struggle. Yeah, yeah. You know because like oh, like I lo- I want I'm a surfer. I want my daughter, I want my kids to be into surfing yeah. so bad. Anyway, my daughter's four and a half, yeah. cannot get her near the ocean, like won't yeah. even go out and interrupt her ankles. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, like it's killing me inside. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, no, but like, like, but then it's this fine line of like, you've pushed them too hard. Yeah. You, you know, they get a negative association with it. Exactly. Like, where do yeah. you find the line? Yeah. And there's this pro surfer, Jamie O'Brien, I, I watched his movie once and they interviewed his dad when he was talking about um, when Jamie was a kid, he, he didn't want to surf and he wouldn't, yeah. didn't want to compete. And, yeah. But he's like, no, we live in Hawaii. You're going to surf and you're going to be the best surfer at Pipeline one day. You're just, you're just doing it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and he just pushed him out there. Go out, paddle out 10-foot Pipeline when you're 12 years yeah. old. Do it. Yeah. And now Jamie O'Brien reflects on that. It's like, thank God that my dad did that because yeah. I would not be where I am today. Like, yeah. Yeah, you know, he's made a really lucrative career free surfing. I mean, yeah. He's actually gone in a really weird direction. He rides soft tops at 15-foot pipeline <laughs> and stuff like that. But he's a freak. But yeah, when you started saying that, I just started thinking about my kids and I'm like... Oh. Yeah, and it's, you know, and then, you know, for me, obviously, the, you know, I had that really tough lesson in, say, 1996. You know, I'd, I'd, I obviously, I had, I had other kind of, you know negative kind of learnings that or, or negative experiences i should say there were learnings in my in my life but 96 was was that big one but for rocco to be able to push through those emotions mm-hmm. um you know to realize that it's only a race that you know it um and it was yeah it was, it was just for him just character building and i'm was so proud of him for for getting through it and then and approaching swimming uh and the carnival this year completely differently you know like it um so yeah i'm really proud of him for that so if he continues to to wanting to have that same attitude into tennis or mm. basketball whatever he's a good I, basketballer. he loves it yeah. <laughs> he's got a great shot he practice yeah, I, I had to put a curfew on bouncing balls because <laughs> he was up at six o'clock bouncing the ball shooting from here and i was like dude We've got neighbours that are probably want to sleep. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so he 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 puts in the hours in the things that he you know that he that he's passionate about. Yeah, yeah. and that's what what we touched on earlier that you have to put in put in the work. Yeah, and it's like Stella's love for surfing. Like yeah, I've surfed with her. I, I can just see it. She lights up the second she gets yeah. in the ocean. Yeah, right? exactly. 
I just wish my daughter would, but anyway, let's not talk about that. She'll, she'll get there. I mean, <laughs> she'll she's find only four something. and a half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a learning curve. Yeah, I'll support her in whatever she wants to do. Um, so, I guess living in Bali, you know, what are some of the key challenges you've had now since you've been, you know, in another country with a young family? I mean, do you feel it's a good place, a place to nurture young people and their and their interests? I think definitely it's been a the green school has been um, great for for my kids in a sense from their like a personal development point of view it's been really good uh, especially Rocco from um, his his confidence Rocco had a speech impediment so uh-huh. uh, but like he, he was almost he's a sensitive kid and you know like being able to um, you know, manage that, control that in, in the different environments, and and then also with 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 Stella to to realize, you know, she's super creative, and mm. to to be able to get up on stage and 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 be you know like <laughs> you know lead the school play and things like that. So for, from that from that aspect, it's been it's been fantastic. Um, I think from that point of view, Bali's been been great, and and it's a, it's a very it's a, it's a it's much more of a unstructured lifestyle really than let's say you know where I'm from originally in Melbourne so um i think they've they've experienced both now they've been back to australia plenty of times and their cousins live there and um i'm look i'm very happy with them living here i think they've they've been um i think if they want to pursue some things further they may have to leave the the island because of just um, that's, I guess, where, where, where Bali's at. And um, if it's sport or academics or whatever it might be. Um, but I think, uh, you know, it's, it's such a, it's, it's an interesting place where there's so many cre- creative people with different mind, mindsets and that, that think differently. And um, so I think they've, <laughs> you know, if you can't, I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's, but it seems to be transient, it's you know, people, yeah, yeah, exactly. So people don't tend to ever settle down here forever, you know. Yeah. So I, I think, for, you know, and I, I believe it will probably end up being the same for, for my kids and my family where, you know, we might find that we'll move on. I don't, so you don't not sure. You don't, <laughs> you don't have any, like, so what do you, what's, what's next for you? What's next for Michael Klim? Is it more coaching, more business, more both? Do you have any ask anything, you know? You yeah, know, I, th- I think for for me now it's really I think obviously you know the kids are getting to getting a bit older, so focusing on their, I think yeah the for me I made a conscious decision to reduce travel to spend more time here in Bali, to be more present in their life and um, to see them evolve and and grow and and help them with you know those dif- difficult conversations or decisions or whatever it might be um and yeah so i think uh i'm still very much um excited by um you know building brands and and continuing to build milk and co and there's there's still opportunities there but being able to do it the way i'm doing it now i'm i'm pretty excited so i try not to look too far ahead sometimes um you know, I used to I used to do that, and um, probably wasn't really in the in the in the present moment enough. So, um, at, you know, 
yeah, at the moment it's it's nice, it's stable, and 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 I'm really kind of in, in, enjoying life as it is. So, oh, nice. got the three kids, Frankie, Stella, and Rocco. Um, you know, and and yeah. it's yeah, it's it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's beautiful, man. Like, yeah, like I feel the same actually. Like, I was striving, striving, striving. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'm, especially I think when you have kids, you realize, hang on. I'm striving too much. I'm, I'm missing out on them growing up, you know. Yeah. And before you know it, they're not going to want to know you, or they're going to be off doing their own thing. So. Yeah, exactly. It is a short time, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And look, I, even with my personal arrangement, where when you know my ex-wife Lindy lived just around the corner, you know, where the, the kids drop in whenever they want. We're very flexible now. It's sort of a, uh, it's it's great that they have. Uh, um, you know they feel comfortable there's is yeah i think they i think for for me that was also a really you know important thing for them to know that i'm here for them no matter what yeah. and um and they wanted structure and they wanted stability so mm-hmm. um and it's that i think it and i probably needed it too <laughs> so, <laughs> so here we are <laughs> yeah i'm here now. <laughs> well man i think that's a beautiful way to end is yeah. there anything else you yeah. want to add or no look i really enjoyed enjoyed the chat actually because awesome. i sort of uh um so, you know like because in, in a lot of interviews you know you kind of skim through a lot of the topics and um you know we went we went pretty deep so it was good i enjoyed yeah, it there's no time there. i'm happy to talk all day dude. <laughs> i'm on holidays we'll do brother. episode two one day <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you can tell do us one out in the surf yeah i'd love to man i have to get a waterproof microphone or something <laughs> no, it was well great. man it's Thank been you. epic and high five brother thanks, thanks so much <laughs> all right have a rad day let's go grab a coffee or something yeah absolutely see you mate cheers Hey, so before we kick off the podcast, I just want to talk about getting your morning kick in Belmont Coffee. Belmont is owned by skaters, barbers, traders, and musicians. They came together with the idea of creating a co-pilot that's next to you on the late night drives, early mornings on the job site, or a midday pick-me-up. Ethically sourced beans in a sustainable can and ready to go when you are. Use the code THT to score a discount at belmont.com. That's Belmont, B-E-L-L-M-O-T-T dot com.